Welcome to another episode of Can Marketing Save the Planet? And Michelle and I are delighted today to be joined by Simon Garnett, who is a marketing and insights professional who has been in marketing for the last 20 years, both working client side and agency side, who has a passion for sustainable marketing. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's absolutely brilliant to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Simon, we all met through Marketing Kind, um, and then we had a conversation about the obsession with new stuff, didn't we? So, to kick things off, let's start with an introduction to you and how you found yourself in the sustainable marketing space. Sure, thank you. Um, yeah, really, uh, really interesting. I guess the, you know, as you said, I've, I've been doing this sort of marketing inside role for 20 plus years now. Um, and of course, it's it's been a hot topic for for all clients for you know a, a large proportion of that time, and I guess at a personal level, the really sort of seminal moment for me, if I can take you back, was was kind of November 2018, um, and I was working from home uh, one afternoon, and the doorbell went, um, and so I just went to the door and opened the door and. There was a guy standing there, a delivery guy from Amazon. These were in the days when, of course, they actually delivered stuff to your door rather than just, you know, leaving it at the door for people to steal off your stalk step way. Um, and I had that sudden moment where I looked at him and I could not for the life of me remember what it was that I'd ordered. Mm. So I took receipt of this parcel and I suddenly thought, my God, that's really not good. Um, Amazon Prime, next day delivery, and I can't even remember what I bought. Now, listen, I'm acutely aware that this is the start of what, will no doubt be many anecdotes to which the accusation of first world problem, you know, middle class problem can be can be uh, sort of thrown at it. And I totally understand that. And it's completely fair. But it was it was the start suddenly for me of a realization that that level of unthinking purchase and consumption was not healthy. And I wanted to change that. So I decided to set myself a challenge of not buying anything new for a year. Um, I made a couple of exceptions, obviously food and drink and sort of household goods and things like that. Uh, I made an exception around buying anything that would allow me to repair something that I already had. And I made an exception of pants and socks because I kind of thought, yeah, I don't really need to buy that second hand. Um, and uh, so I started 2019 doing that. Um, I went through the whole year. Uh, I failed. Uh, I failed twice. Uh, once because I had to buy some trainers and I'm a dodgy old man with dodgy knees who needs... Um, he needed proper um, trainers fitted, so I didn't want to buy those secondhand. And the second time, because I bought a paddle for my paddleboard, because you know what, I'm human and it was just really sexy and I really liked it and I fell in love with it. And so I bought it. Um, but I guess that was the start of me reappraising my relationship. Interestingly, started off as appraising my relationship of consumption of new and actually has manifested and turned into just appraising my relationship with consumption per se. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's similar to Gemma and I, you know, we've always been, well, I've always been, you know, I don't buy new clothes. I haven't done for years and years and years. And, um, but, but it is that element of that awakening, that consciousness, that element of, oh my goodness, we are just buying things without even thinking about things. And that's because we wonderful marketers over the years have designed systems and nudges and processes and promotions um, and, and really driven convenience as 
a norm. You know, when I was growing up, that was not the norm. We didn't have Amazon. We didn't have next day delivery. We didn't have those things. There were repair people that came around and repaired things in the home. It wasn't a case of it's broken. Let's just get another one. And so as a marketer yourself, that as well as a conscious being who is thinking, hang on a minute, I couldn't remember even purchasing this, you know, what's going on? This is totally unconscious behavior. Uh, and I want to do something about that, which is great. But then in your professional role, how how did that tension kind of sit? It's it's a great question. Um, and I'm not going to lie. It's, it is absolutely a tension. It's a tension that sits with me every day. And I'm sure many of your listeners in marketing and insight and all associated industries are, are also wrestling with that. Frankly, if, if people aren't wrestling with that, I don't think, feel like we should be, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's inherent. Um, if, I, if I just digress slightly, the, the, the really interesting thing for me was whenever I tell anyone this story, uh, two questions, and I get to ask two questions all the time. The first one is, what did I buy on the 1st of January 2020? And the second one is, what did I miss? And you might all think that those are totally rational and fair questions, and to a certain extent they are. But for me, they're really instructive, they're really indicative, because what they tell me is that the engagement with this story, the engagement with this concept of not buying new is absolutely integrally rooted in a concept of loss, of a yes. concept of enjoyment rather than enjoyment, of absolutely hardship that I went through. And nothing could be further from the truth from my perspective. So I always talk about it. It's a story of assumed negatives, which is actually a story of discovered positives. People yes. sit there and think that everything would be bad. And listen, don't get me wrong. There is friction, right? There is quite a lot of friction, far more friction, frankly, than there should be and then and there needs to be if we are to drive anything like this at scale. But it is also enormous joy in that friction. Um, I remember speaking to an old colleague of mine. It's about eight, ten years ago. I started writing this this kind of blog thought piece that never went anywhere, and it was kind of in defense of, of, of inconvenience. Um, and the point I was trying to make was, I worry that we've made everything so simple that we've taken meaning and pleasure and joy out of things. I remember in my old Diageo days, one of the packaging courses I went on kind of talking about, you know, the, the classic Tiffany thing and the fact that they've deliberately made the box too tight so that it makes that effort, it draws out, it creates the engagement and the experience. And I think you're so right that so much of what we do now is just so autopilot that we've lost meaning. People often ask me, do I do it for sustainability reasons? And actually, I didn't. Don't get me wrong. It was kind of part of it. But actually, I didn't. The reason I did it was because I wanted to create meaning with consumption and meaning of my behavior. Yeah. And, and I think what has happened is that we have allowed meaning and value of inconvenience of effort to be lost and for the narrative of consumption to become dominated by just one real key metric. Well, actually, that's a lie. Two key metrics. The first one, which has been happening for decades and decades and decades, is success. You know, we, we often talk about what well, marketing is about driving consumption. I would argue that it's really about driving consumption of new. Mm. So, yes, consumption, but it's consumption of new. You know, you think about the stigma that exists around second sale, around re commerce, around giving something that's secondary. It's still there. 
you know, and again, I recognize I am incredibly privileged and fortunate to have a choice to be able to buy secondhand. Millions of people don't have that choice. I totally get that. But the truth is we've been told that consumption of new is what equals success. And the second thing that we've been talked about, that we've been told, and the other kind of dominant narrative is just convenience. That yeah. the inconvenience is bad and it needs to be erased. And I think we've got to change both of those stories. I think we've got to bring some more nuance to that because I don't think it's that simple. No, I totally agree. I think that story of, of I mean, we live in a convenience throwaway society and I, I notice that more and more the longer I... I I work in this space and the more we progress forward, I notice that more and more. And sustainability is often thrown back as, you know, being told what you can't do and also having less when in fact it's about doing more with less, which is quite, you know, it's a challenge and it's a bit more exciting. And I I just don't understand, well, I, I can't quite wrap my head around right now why it's positioned so, so much at having less and, and, you know, not doing more with less. And as you say, we, we don't even think about things or, you know, many, the majority of people don't think about things when they buy them and we overconsume and we think it's okay to throw stuff away. And, you know, the, the stats that are out there, you know, there, there's, there's plenty of them that you can look at. And, um, I'm just wondering, you know, why do you think that there is that stigma attached to sustainability of, you know, it's about having less and essentially being told you can't do something, which it isn't at all, is it? It's, it's a great question. And, and where I would absolutely agree with you is I don't, I don't believe it's immutable. I don't believe that, that that story that sustainability equals loss is a kind of a hard written rule. I think it's absolutely, as I said before, it's about the story of discovered positives, not assumed losses. Mm. But I am, I am, uh, I, I'm sympathetic as to why that narrative exists. And I think it exists for a couple of reasons. One of which is, frankly, it's out there. We are told it. You know, you look at the UNEP report and it says that the world's 1% richest need to reduce their consumption by 97%. Now, I'd love to be in the world's richest 1%. That's not, not there yet. Um, well, maybe I would love to be there. Who knows? But, um, but, but even if you're in the world's t- top 10%, which I can guarantee quite a lot, if not the majority of your listeners will be, it's 90%. Now, if you walk out into the street and just grab someone and say, by the way, I want you to reduce your consumption by 90% tomorrow. I mean, if someone said that to me, I'll just look at the night they had six heads. I, I don't know how to do that. That is a mind-bogglingly extraordinary amount of, of cutting out of stuff from my life that I can't, I can't process. I don't know what that means other than it's a hell of a lot, of, hell of a lot less of whatever it is I have now and whatever it is I'm doing now. And then I think the second part, so, so that's the first part, which I think rationally that there is so unfortunately some of that messaging going up. Well, I say unfortunately, I mean, it's the reality. It's what we've got to do. The second part, I think, is just a bit of humanity, loss aversion. You know, we are very, very skewed to value loss. And therefore, you know, in this idea that, that we are going to have to do it, I, I understand why people say to me, what do you lose? It is still my default operation this is just how i approach anything that i buy now as i also uh try and buy secondhand i'm in austria at the moment and i'm desperately trying to find a secondhand shop which i can't seem to find anywhere in austria it doesn't seem to be a big big thing charity shops as far as i can work out it's loads um, in brussels <laughs> well there, there you go i should i should i shall head there um it, this this whole concept i think is so rooted in in this sense of loss it, it's and, and it's really interesting because the, the one time when I have it 
So as I said, it's, it's my default perspective on everything that I do now. The one place I still find it really, really hard to do is when I buy secondhand for other people. So when I buy presents for other people. And the reason is because even though I'm totally comfortable, I don't, I don't care, I'm quite happy. I, I should wear it as a badge of pride and honor that I, that I buy secondhand. I still worry about what it says about me as a person if I gift someone secondhand. And I was just talking to my wife earlier. and She was like, well, actually, that's so stupid because actually whenever I do it, you know what the response we always get is, that's amazing. What a brilliant thing. And, and all of the discovered positives that I have are transferred and people do it. But I think that's what we're fighting. I think we're fighting so much stigma because we've been told for decades, you know, since Mad Men and all that stuff, that, that it's new, that is, that is everything. It's identity, it's progress, it's success, it's all of those things that we're about. And, and fighting that history is really hard. Do you think there's anything in there around, you know, if you, if you want to move to, you know, buying less, buying secondhand, thinking more about what you have to do as opposed to mindless consumption and you're not using half the stuff, but you don't even consider the fact that you're throwing away new stuff or you're wasting food and, and the bigger issues that, that are happening in the world. Do you think there's a real thing where people put so much less effort into that change? So for example, you decide you're going to be more sustainable, but you're automatically going to put much less effort into being more sustainable than you would into wanting to buy something new. So automatically in your mind, it's boring, isn't it? It's difficult. It's hard. But whereas if you were going to put as much effort into that as you would into looking for a new handbag or a new sofa for your house, that dopamine hit of buying and looking and searching, I don't think they hold the same sort of, we need to move the story and get the feeling in people's mindsets that, this is really fun and this is really exciting. And I think some people do that. I mean, Michelle finds, she got me into charity shopping and she finds some of the most phenomenal things in the charity shop all the time. All the time. And it's just, it's a different type of, of mindset that you have to get yourself into, isn't but, it? But can I just add there, you know, I've just recently been redecorating and refurbishing a room in my house and I did it all secondhand you know it, it was all Facebook marketplace eBay um, even the paint you know had been used by another household um, on Olio so you know there was there were certain things that I just reused and I did find that incredibly creative and challenging there were some challenges in as much as at one point when I was looking for a sofa and of course you have to go and collect this and I was thinking I don't have a big car how am I going to get that in the car and then I'm going to have to hire a van and this is all turning into a a, not a nuisance so actually maybe I should just go and buy a sofa where they're going to get it delivered and I don't need the headache but then I found that there were these services these courier services that act like um their auction sites you know, so what they're doing, which is, again, incredibly sustainable, is they are saying, OK, well, we're picking up 10 things that day. And if you're on our route, we'll collect and drop it off to you as well. So therefore, you're not paying the huge fees that you would be paying. You may be paying 35 quid or 45 quid, you know, and as, as they get more routes into their into their into their schedule, more items into their schedule, your price goes down. So, you know, it's like it's getting cheaper for me to do those things. So I think it's and then I thought, oh, my goodness, why isn't everybody doing this? Guess why? Because nobody knows about it. I didn't know about it. And I think that you can do it. It is creative. It does take a little bit more effort. But that brings me back to that beautiful statement that I remember us 
speaking to Seth Godin about in when we talked about his carbon almanac and the tyranny of, of convenience. And I think it was something like we've lost we've lost the kind of joy of being slow and difficult, you know, doing things slowly and doing difficult things. And actually, I go and sit in that room now and I'm like so chuffed to bits. And somebody came in the other day and said, wow, look at what you've done to this room. I said, that was 10 quid. That was 15 pounds that, you know, I got from eBay. I'm so thrilled and delighted. And, and they're just like, wow. So I think it's A, people don't know. And we are not prepared to do things slowly, take a little bit more time, be creative and and actually get the real enjoyment of being a bit more slow and considered. And put the effort in, isn't it? It's, it's again, you, you've got to put the effort in and then you get the reward yeah. and then you want to put more effort in. But it, it's, you know, I think it's when you make that switch, you you don't just sit there and you go, well, look, this isn't yeah. fun, is it? We haven't tried anything no. yet. So, I mean, you I know. Have, yeah, I could have gone to Ikea, had it all delivered, ta-da-da, but it would have looked like everybody else's room, you Absolutely. know, with a few flourishes. Now I've got this old kind of, it's like, God, that's like an old colonial table. And the beautiful thing about this was she said, I'm so delighted that's gone to a home. It's, it's the final piece of my grandparents' furniture that has been in a lockup for the last 10 years. And we've been trying to rehome them. And now I feel like, oh my God, there's a beautiful, and then I'll say to her, so what were your grandparents doing? You know, what was it? It's a story. And this now carries on in my house. It carries on in my house. I couldn't agree with you more. It's a story. And that's what we do. That's what marketeers do. I I, I have a, I have a, both of your points, I, I could not agree with you more on both of them. There is without a doubt an infrastructure issue, okay? Um, it is hard. It is far it harder is. than it should be and needs to be. I have a whole folder of apps on my phone that I use to do this. Um, uh, you know, there was a one point where I was looking at kind of whether I could create a place that would sort of, you know, a massive sort of mega kind of app that would allow me to find all these places. And I got talking to a web guy about whether I could scrape data from Facebook. And that idea got canned pretty quickly because he said, I get a lawyer from Mark Zuckerberg's uh, lawyers pretty quick, a letter from Mark Zuckerberg's lawyers pretty quickly. So that idea died. But the point was I was doing it because as an insight person, what do I, what am I always most interested in? I'm interested in make shifting. I'm interested when people are doing things that are difficult because the solution doesn't exist. And for me, this is a classic place where people are make shifting and so I love the fact that you're talking about all these services and I, and I know exactly what you're talking about. My big question is, where are the brands? Where yeah. are the businesses? Why aren't they here? I have bought so much stuff where I'm like, if I could buy this secondhand, but certified secondhand through, uh, through one of the existing brands and get the, the I, I would happily pay, you know, the premium to do that. Ever since the Forge, when we found it 10 years ago, we've all, we bought all our IT through the Apple refurb store. Why? Why wouldn't we? Exactly. I mean, why wouldn't, literally, why wouldn't, I can't understand why there's any reason. But, but my issue with it, so look, don't get me wrong, all of, the, all of the infrastructure needs solving. It is not good enough. There is lots more to be done. But, and this is a big but, I worry that still that there is a little bit of a sense of build it and they will come about re-commerce. That the solution is the platforms. The solution is the infrastructure. The solution is a, is a, is a 
simple, nice UX. And it's not. No. It's about stories. Because what we're competing with is not just inconvenience. We're competing with 50 years and 60 years of messaging that new equals success and hand-me-down, second-hand, reused, is a bit dirty. It's a bit sort of undesirable. It's not the thing you want. And the stories you just told there, Michelle, I totally agree. They are wonderful, beautiful stories of discovered positives about, you know, one of the things I was kind of, I've, I've got a LinkedIn group um, called the Recommerce Recollective where I'm asking people, to, I'm trying to crowdsource basically inspiration about in different categories, what do we talk about? So, you know, if someone offered you a pre-loved, you know, baby kind of, you know, cot or baby kind of, that's probably quite good language. If someone offers you a pre-loved chainsaw, I'm probably going to walk in the opposite direction to that person because I don't think anyone should be loving chainsaws. It's just not good. Um, so, so I think yeah. finding the stories, finding the discussions, because you think about it, you know, we've absolutely got these narratives around cars, around music, around furniture, around antiques, around vintage clothing. We've got these stories. They exist. We are doing it, which is why, going back to your point, Earlier, Jenna, that I think you said, I don't believe it's immutable that we have to be stuck in this world that new equals success and that anything that's not new is somehow bad. I think that is just there are so many examples of where we've proven that's not the case, but we've just kind of forgotten it a little bit or, or we've sort of just fallen into a habit of just bang, 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 let's go new, new, new the whole time. Yeah. And we are living in a time where, you know, the cost of living crisis is a growing issue. And so many people don't relate this to climate change and, you know, the challenges we face around sustainability. And, you know, as the cost of living goes up, then, you know, circularity and sharing economy are all wonderful, wonderful things that if we start to tell the story of that, then, you know, that that removes a lot of stigma. When we interviewed uh, Jamie Crummy from Too Good To Go, you know, he said they've they've taken the stigma away from the yellow stickers in supermarkets, you know, and they talk about rescuing food. And I always say to my daughter, whenever we go food shopping, let's go and rescue some food. And, and we go to that section and we have a look and we just grab the fruit and veg generally from there, you know, mm-hmm. and do something yeah. with it. So, I mean, how are we going to change the narrative and connect the dots without sounding like we are telling people what to do? <sighs> There's the big question, Gemma, isn't it? Uh, the absolute million dollar question. How are we going to do it? Look, I, I'm the first to acknowledge that I don't have all the answers. The reason I kind of set up the Recommerce Recollective was because I, I don't have all the answers. I think it, it requires kind of four different cohorts of people coming together. I think firstly, it, kind of, it requires kind of business consultants to kind of help tell the story of why um, Recommerce is not a zero-sum game. I, I really struggle with this assumed narrative that every time there's a recommerce, that that's a lost new sale. Mm. I think marketing and business has a real issue with seeing things in very binary terms that social media or digital te- digital media kills traditional media, that online retail kills bricks and mortar. You know, without meaning to get all Mark Ritson, bothism, not and orism. Um, so, so I think, firstly, that, that, that I think is a really important thing to do. I think we then need insight professionals like myself who can kind of start to kind of understand what these real hooks are, the stories, the discovered benefits. You know, for me, there are so many. And people always think it's money. And listen, don't get me wrong, cost of living and money is really important. Um, for me, you know, incredible privilege, absolutely. But I have cut my expenditure to the extent that I now work four days a week and that allows me a day a week where I'm very lucky and fortunate to be able to do other things that I'm really passionate about. 
I've made that decision based off that kind of thing. There are discovered benefits about what really matters to people, what you value, what makes you fun. Anyway, so finding all these stories, I think, is right. I then think there's a real job for advertising people to kind of help us then turn. How do we turn those into really compelling messages? If you haven't seen the eBay ad, they do, there's sort of three or four 30-second ads that they've done relatively recently. One of them is all about the, the kind of, they're sort of caricaturing this, this the, the, the sort of the deal hunter, the, the bargain hunter. And it's a little bit, Michelle, like what you said about the, well, actually it cost me 10 pounds. And that okay. art that there is to doing that and that kind of real savviness. And it's a much more emotional thing than just saving money. Yes, of course you're saving money, but it's much more about identity and who you are and what you do. And finding the ability to tell those stories, I think it's huge. And then the final one, as I think is marketeers, which is I don't think it's just a comms piece. I think it's then all the other touch points around how we do that and how we get it across. I, I think that the, final, the other thing I just wanted to say on this, because I think it's really important, and, and this perhaps is a bit of a bugbear of mine, so you know, I, I get it. Um, I said before, I'm incredibly privileged to have the opportunity to choose to buy secondhand. But quite often when I'm talking to other marketeers or people in this space, sustainability consultants, et cetera, two phrases get, you know, there's that phrase that gets thrown out quite easily, which is, well, first world problem, middle class problem, blah, blah, blah. And what about the people who don't have the ability to do that, et cetera? And I totally get that. I totally understand that. But my challenge always back is I'm not trying to solve every problem, but the truth is that carbon is expensive. It's yeah. the people who have the most that need to change the most. And if I had one wish, I wish we would stop always just throwing out that moniker of first world problem, middle class problem. We're not going to bring everyone on board. I get it. We're not going to bring everyone on board with one thing. You know why? Because marketing is more complicated than that. It's not a one simple, one dimensional answer that will solve everything. But this for me is a really key part of the story. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right. I, if, if, if we go out and sort of you know, patronize people with messages about sort of the value of buying secondhand for people who have no choice and that is how they have to live their life every day. That is just going to do nothing but alienate. I get that. But I also think there's a huge audience of people who, as you've said, Gemma, just, just aren't thinking, just are buying on impulse. And, and those conversations I have with people, that comes through. And it's, you know, it's interesting because it's not, you know, when we talk about marketing and status and affiliation and people want to be affiliated with oh, the latest thing or the new thing or the, you know, um, wherever they are on, on that adoption curve, you know, whether they're like, oh, I'm running out to get the latest thing or they're, you know, dragging their feet and just getting it because it's there and there's nothing else to get. Um, it It's also about this idea that actually there's enough stuff already that's that's a story that we're not talking about you know there's enough stuff you don't need anything new because guess what there's probably even if you you know even if it is this I really only want to shop high-end designer because I you know that is my status and affiliation well guess what there's enough high-end designer stuff out there stuck in people's wardrobes that has never been touched. It's got all the labels on. It's got all the packaging on. It's never been touched. Seek out those services and buy from that rather than just do what you've always done. And I think, I mean, we are seeing those those kind of things coming along. So it, it's it for me, it's not about the class, you know, whether you're middle class or whether you've always had to buy secondhand or, you know, yes, there is a narrative around that. Um, but that's, uh, for me, this is about, a stuff issue. There's enough yeah. stuff. Can we just start yeah. sharing the stuff around 
rather than making the shuffle. And 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 there's 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 so many, you know, there's so much opportunity with circularity. There's so much opportunity with the sharing economy. We're already starting to see that with brands like Too Good to Go, with Olio. You, you know, we, there are there are ways where we can already just pass around what it is that we've got, and there is attached story to that and there is status and affiliation to that at every level that you want to go to because guess what I don't think if we had to stop production of everything I mean maybe medication and things like that people would argue you know whatever um but but there's enough stuff yeah you know I've you you said sorry you said you were a paddleboarder I've got three paddleboards I only need one you know and they were bought for a daughter and another daughter who never used them. So what do I do? Go and get another paddleboard? No. If somebody wants a paddleboard, come and get a paddleboard. So it's how do we how do we get out of that mindset of, oh, I want that. And therefore, I need to go and get it rather than I want that. Who's got one of those? Where can I get that from? Yeah, I, 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 I think you're absolutely spot on. You know, I think for me, what's so interesting about this space you know, I, I know you had uh, John Alexander on your podcast yeah. uh, not so long ago. He's was, was brilliant. I've loved his book and been sort of, you know, uh, take, need, to, need, to give, need to give him fair, fair due credit for lots of, lots of the stuff that sort of wormed its way into my thinking. But I think what's so interesting is, is just that actually in the absence of this, what is happening is that people are coming together to find the solution and make the solution. Yeah. And actually it's, it's kind of people sort of sitting there going, well, you know, I, I – Again, this is a story that might resonate with, with lots of people. You know, during COVID, street WhatsApp groups come. What happens now? Someone says, has anyone got a hedge trimmer I can borrow? Yeah. You know, has anyone got a, you know, axe I can borrow, a hammer I can borrow, whatever it is. And, and that's some uh, second time, second mention of axes. People are going to start worrying about me on this <laughs> podcast. Um, there's, there's so much which is just so simple to do when we actually just stop and think and challenge ourselves. But again, it is hard. It is unwiring stuff that has just been defaulted to us for so long and that is not without its challenge and we need to kind of you know be those those beacons of, of that kind of new behavior and champion it and actually what I've always found is incredibly positive is just how willing people are to kind of engage with that and see it and of course it doesn't happen every night I'm not suggesting everyone has or will or will want to go as far as I have that's that's individual choices but I think the key mindset of just what, what am I scared of? You know, here's a really simple thing. If you're even vaguely thinking about it, but worried about it, the best hashtag that I learned during this thing, hashtag BNWT, brand new with tags, go into eBay or Facebook Marketplace or anything else like that and just type in or Depop or Vinted and just type hashtag BNWT along with your search and you will get exactly as you exactly. said, Michelle, people have just been given something that they yeah. don't want. It's never been opened. No. I've got drawers full of gifts, candles, gifts. Like I don't need any more stuff, you know. And so, and I shamelessly, I repurpose that. And if I'm not making the gift, those gifts get handed back round, you know, to, to other people. So there you go, putting it out there, friends and family. It, everything you get from me will have been somebody else's. Unless it's I a safe space, it. Michelle. No judgment. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I think there's something in that message around, um, you know, you, you, Simon, you spoke about uh, if someone came up to you tomorrow and said you need to reduce your consumption uh, by 90%, you'd be like, can't do it, go away. I think if someone came up to you and said you need to think about 90% of what you consume moving mm. forward, 
I think that's when you can come up with a, you know, a rationale and a thought process. And maybe that's where we start to change minds. But you also ask the question, where are the brands around, you know, really driving re-commerce? And I think that's the business case that marketers need to start building up around the cost efficiencies and the cost savings for production and the cost savings for transportation and of all the new stuff, because we do see brands jumping in or dipping a toe and they're not jumping in at all. They're dipping a toe into second hand, but they're not slowing down their production. So if you're not slowing down your production whilst you're trying this, you know, circularity and second hand and sharing and all of that, you're never going to see the true benefits of it because your costs are naturally just going to go up you know, in, in both sides of that business, you'll still have the cost of new and you'll have the cost of re-commerce. So then it will look, you know, well, that re-commerce obviously didn't work. So let's stick with, you know, just making new. So I think there is a business case that marketers need to pull together around behaviours, around what's happening, around the need to change. But also that if you're going to go down that financial route, then let's look at the efficiencies and the savings, which I think often get missed off, don't they? I love that point around think about the 90% that you do consume rather than reduce it. I think, by the way, I'm going to steal that if that's all right. And I, I will definitely TM, uh, TM you on that one, Gemma. But I think that's absolutely spot on. The reason I like it so much is because I, look, I'm not a sustainability ex- expert, okay? So I've not done my CISL kind of course and stuff. And I know there are many, many experts who will sit there and kind of be wringing hands with what I'm saying, going, well, secondhand, you know, secondary consumption isn't the answer. We just need to reduce consumption overall. I think what's really important for me, and this is one of the key messages I want to give, I started this exercise thinking I was going to change my relationship with you. I've ended this while ongoing with this. I've got to a point where actually what I've changed is my relationship with consumption. Because in changing my relationship with you, I've realized actually what makes me happy actually what I enjoy, actually what I value. And that has meant that actually I have changed my consumption around the 90%. You know, have I reduced it by 90%? No, almost certainly not. But I'm, but I'm right down. And, and I think that, that we need to be a bit more open to this fact of achieving a loftier goal with a less lofty ambition to start with. Yeah. And I think sometimes, again, there's a little bit of a tendency in the, in the sort of sustainability conversation and narrative of, shooting down perfection and, and letting perfection be the enemy of progress. And for yeah. me, this is a classic example of progress is important here. And if we just let people try that, I think we will be surprised at how much actually we achieve towards perfection, but with a more realistic and, and feasible goal. I mean, that's it, it. And that's a great point. And it, when we interviewed Tessa Clark from um, Olio on, on the, on the podcast, one of the things she said, and, and, um, when we were talking about it is that it isn't one of the biggest thing isn't and the outcomes and the positive elements that come out of this and that they found when they've done their surveys back into this huge group now that are part of their community isn't that people are just getting stuff it's actually this sense of community that they value and the connections that they're making with people that is making them happier than the stuff so that's interesting what you say, that it's changed your whole view and the way you think about consumption when you started to make that shift. Because, yes, you are thinking about it, but also you've probably realized that that's not the stuff that makes you happy, you know? And that's what sh- their study showcased, that it was community. And, and again, similarly, purpose disruptors with their report as to what does 
could look like in a, you know, in 2030, what do people really want? Nobody was talking about more stuff. People were talking about more time, space to think, you know, this idea of slowing down, not being bombarded with goods and stuff. So we have to keep up with the Joneses because that's how we're measured as being successful. But actually, community, connection, a good well, well-being, you know, a good, good health, um, good community relations, all of those things were space in nature, you know, space and time to think. These were all so much more uh, valued than stuff. Similar to what John Alexander was telling us, you know, we need, we need to stop with all the marketing messages so actually people can think about what it is that they're doing. And, and the choices that they make. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely spot on. So, Simon, I think, you know, we could probably keep talking about this for, for hours and, and share stories and experiences and, and also share a lot of hints and tips and stuff on how, on how to, uh, to think about that 90% of what we consume. But we like to ask our guests the same three quickfire questions to wrap up every episode. So our first question to you is, can marketing save the planet? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I, to be fair, I'm probably going to answer in, in a way that I'm sure many of your guests or certainly the podcasts I've listened to have answered. Um, no, people can save the planet. Um, but marketing is absolutely integral in terms of rewriting the narrative. As I said, the narrative for me of new equals success is so strong. It's so established. It's so dominant. You know, I'm four years, five years into, four years into this behavior now of buying you and I still it's what I do every single day, every single purchase. And I still struggle when I have to give some something secondhand to someone else and I'm thinking about gifting. It is so fundamental to who we are. But if we write the story that consumption equals success, then I'm absolutely positive we can write a different story, which means that actually we can kind of change that. I think I think that does then raise the very fair and valid question, which is kind of doesn't that undermine the whole point of marketing, you know? Marketing is 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 about driving consumption and and listen, I, I it, it's something I wrestle with every day. I imagine it's stuff that you both wrestle with every day, and I imagine it's something that pretty much everyone listening to this podcast is wrestling with. And I I, I don't have the perfect answer to that. I, what I do feel though is, as I said before, I, I think we have a real tendency often in marketing to see these things as a zero sum game. Mm. That one re-commerce equals a lost a lost commerce. A lost new, and you know I, I'm not an economist, but but I should imagine that you know maximizing the cogs through multiple revenue streams, but only increasing your cogs kind of five ten percent for re refurbing stuff. I imagine Maynard Keynes would be pretty proud of that as a business model, and imagine that as pretty much the capitalist ideal. So you know I I, I definitely don't think that it is that it is you know insurmountable at all, and and I absolutely think that we should be doing it. I think, I think there's probably also two just other things that I, I would say about it as well, which is firstly, if not you, then who? Um, the hardest question I think to ask in marketing is do we want to disrupt ourselves? Um, and I think if you look at a lot of businesses scrabbling around in fashion at the impact that Depop and Vinted are having, I think you would probably say that some of those businesses are regretting decisions maybe they made five, 10 years ago that they didn't get into this space sooner and they let someone else come in. So again, I think we are, we are very prone as an industry to think that one thing replaces something else. You know, as I said before, digital media versus traditional media or, 
you know, bricks and mortar versus online. And, and actually, history has shown time and time again, it's both. And, and I would love us to kind of be a little bit more nuanced that. Um, and then the final thing I would just say that, that I think specifically to a subset of marketing, which is the insight industry, I think there's a particular role that we can play around discovering those those un those un well the, the discovered positives the, the the real upsides those strong stories because they won't come out automatically. It's about looking beyond just what people say and how they say it. You know, I, I think I'm going to despair if I see another quant questionnaire telling me how motivated people are to buy <laughs> secondhand. Uh, stuff because I think it's a lot deeper than that. I think we need to get real rich emotional stories behind that rather than just sort of thinking that we can bang a drum just about saving money or just about the sustainability or the carbon footprint. I think this is about much bigger stuff about identity and, 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 and how you see yourself. And it comes back to that status and affiliation, isn't it? That status and affiliation that we've put against all of that new stuff and being the new thing. And, and then how do we how do we attach that status and affiliation to, to these other behaviours? So our next question then, Simon, is what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time? Uh, another, another great question. Um, I really hope we have a thriving e-commerce economy. I hope that brands are in there. I hope they're making life easier. But I also hope that they're telling a more aspirational and positive story. I really hope that there has not been a zero-sum game decision where these businesses have kind of gone, we can't go there because it will destroy our core business. I want to see pioneers who've gone, let's achieve both. Let's do this. Let's make this work. I appreciate, you know, Everything I've said is pretty difficult if you're a crisp manufacturer or a drinks manufacturer, right? It's not, you know, re-commerce is not going to be the model for you there. But there are so many industries, and frankly, it's the higher carbon industries where this absolutely is crucial and critical. And I really hope that we have seen a shift in the, and, a, and a transformation in the, in the infrastructure. But I hope the much bigger shift we've seen is the narrative and the storytelling that then provides the motivation that then the infrastructure gives you the ease. But I think it needs to be motivation first, facilitated by ease. And that's what I really hope we will see yeah. in, in the next 10 years. And hopefully that then drives behavior change at scale, you know, yeah. all of that shift. Brilliant. And our final question, Simon, is if you were to give one piece of advice around people changing their relationship with consumption, what would it be? Uh, at, at, at the risk of sounding trite and a bit sort of Bob Geldof, um, just just do it. Start. I mean, it really is that simple. It's set yourself a goal. Um, I would encourage you to do at least three months because I think, you know, we just know about behavior. Um, there is also just, just a human reality, right, which is this stuff is not going to be available on your doorstep. You cannot, you know, this is not Amazon Prime. So you will look for longer. It will take you more effort to find stuff. If you give yourself a week to do it, um, you're really not going to get that much I should doubt um, I, I would just please just just try you know even if you can you, you don't want to do it for everything that's fine choose a category give it a go the apps are there stores are there Facebook marketplace and try I wish I didn't buy on it because I don't particularly want to give you know eyeballs to Facebook but the reality is they dominate um, there is so much stuff there just just go and give it a go I know there's the 
the, the, the quote of the best way to start something is just to begin. Um, and as trite as it sounds, I, I would just encourage people to do yeah. it and just go on a bit of a, a bit of a journey and don't beat yourself up. You know, I always tell people the first thing I tell people about when I did it is I tell people I failed because if we make this, you know, perfection again, I'm back to that point earlier yeah. around don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Yeah. Just give it a go and you will start to change. So Simon, where can people find out more about you and the work you do? Brilliant. Thank you. So uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so Simon Garnett. Um, so please, yeah, don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, we've also got a, a group on LinkedIn called the Recommerce Recollective, um, which again, please do do kind of look up. And if you're interested in, in joining, sharing thoughts, it's really intended to be, you know, the ambition is a bit of a kind of creative commons approach to, to e-commerce. How can we source the best information and just learn from each other? I don't think there are any, none of us know the answer alone. So please just kind of get in touch and, and that's probably the best way um, to find me. Great. We'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining us, Simon, on the podcast. And um, we look forward to ongoing conversations, no doubt, and learning more about your journey into this um, conscious consumption. Mm-hmm.